Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Network podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler. Today, we'll be talking with Donna Anderson, author of Senior Sociopath, How to Recognize and Escape Lifelong Abusers. How are you doing today, Donna? I'm doing great, Deidre, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. Can you start by telling us a little something about yourself and how you became interested in this project? Sure. Well, um, I worked primarily as a journalist and then a commercial copywriter. Uh, So I have a lot of writing experience, although I never intended to write a book. But uh, things happened and all of a sudden I had a story to tell. Um, I was 40 years old, uh, had never been married, and then met this man who swept me off my feet, showered me with attention and told me how wonderful I was and I was the woman he'd been waiting for all his life and he turned out to be a total con man. This guy took $227,000 from me. He cheated with at least six different women during our two and a half year relationship. He had a child with one of those women and then 10 days after I left him, not 10 days after we divorced, but 10 days after I left him, he married the mother of the child, which was the second time he committed bigamy. Well, needless to say, my head was spinning when I started to realize what was going on. And I told my therapist about his outrageous betrayal. And she said, he sounds like a sociopath. And I'm like, sociopath? What's that? So That's when I started researching it, and as I looked into it, I realized that, yes, uh, this man had all the characteristics, and I realized that I had a story to tell, and that's what got me started. Can you tell the audience, what is a sociopath? I define sociopath as someone who has a serious personality disorder in which they manipulate and exploit others. Now, The original definition of the term is is pretty much what I just said. The the term was coined back in 1930, and at the time, it meant anything deviated or pathological in social relations. Now, since then, there's been a lot of other terminology. People are talking about narcissists and psychopaths and antisocial personality disorder, and all these disorders are a little bit different from each other, but what they have in common is that the people who have these disorders make life insane for the rest of us. And so it's important for us to realize that there are people living among us who do have these serious personality disorders in which they target us. I mean, their objective is to take advantage of us. So I talk about them collectively using the term sociopath because actually sociopath is no longer an official clinical diagnosis, but it very conveniently describes exactly what I'm talking about, which are people who have a serious personality disorder in which they manipulate and exploit the people around them. 
Tell us how many people in that population that we have today uh, are sociopaths. Okay, well, here's where it starts getting scary. Um, depending on which research you look at, anywhere from five and a half to 17 and a half percent of the population could have a cluster B personality disorder. And these are the disorders that I just talked about. There's uh, like four or five of them, depending on how you count it. There's antisocial, narcissistic, borderline, histrionic, personality disorders, plus psychopathy, which is almost the same as um, antisocial personality disorder. But anyway, if you take this population, the people who have cluster B personality disorders, and if you take a midpoint of the range that I just said, so for simplicity, let's say 12%. If 12% of the adults in the United States have a cluster B personality disorder, that means we live among 31 million sociopaths. Why are women over 50 vulnerable? Well, first of all, everybody's vulnerable. It's not just women over 50 at all. Um, but it's essentially, it depends on your situation. Um, you know, sociopaths will exploit anybody. And in fact, one of the things that I tried to do with this book is to show how it's not just romantic relationships, although, you know, a lot of it is, but sociopaths can be in your family. They can be your neighbors. They can be um, in your workplace, your business colleagues. And so there's just, I mean, what they do is look for targets of opportunity. And the way it works is that if a sociopath encounters you, um, first what they do is figure out if you have something that that they want, then they look for your vulnerabilities, and then they figure out how to use your vulnerabilities to get you to give them what they want. So, I mean, anybody can be targeted for a multitude of reasons. Tell the audience about Cynthia, the 52-year-old nurse. Well, Cynthia, she's one of the um, first stories that I talk about in the book. Um, she had been in an abusive marriage, and um, then what happened was she divorced her ex-husband and spent the next four years uh, trying to, you know, get some therapy, get herself uh, process what had happened, you know, get herself straight, and so. Like four, four or five years after the divorce, after all this therapy, she decided that, okay, I'm ready to you know, get out there again and, and try and find another partner. So she met a guy and um, he seemed to be perfect. He, he, they, they were both into recovery. Uh, Cynthia realized that she had um, parents who were, and her, her ex-husband was alcoholic, so she was going to Alcoholics Anonymous, and the guy was going to Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, they, they got together. And then Cynthia had an opportunity to work in a foreign country. Uh, she was a nurse, and, and so she went abroad for a year. But in the meantime, um, she was still friends with some of the other men that she had met because she met this guy on a dating site and she had met previous guys on a dating site and they were just platonic friends. And what happened was um, she exchanged some emails with the old friend and her current boyfriend just flew off the handle. I mean, he was outraged that she was still talking to this person. So then 
um, and plus, you know, she she invited him to come stay with her in this foreign country, and she paid for it. And you know, she he was not working when they were living together, so she was paying his expenses. Um, but when she went abroad, she said that uh, I mean, she worked it out that the guy would take care of her personal belongings, and she also uh, left him her car to drive. Well, um, then the friend, the platonic friend, realized that he had cancer, so he contacted Cynthia for. Um, advice of what to deal with and and Cynthia told the boyfriend and the boyfriend was furious he, he just you know just flew off the, he's half a world away and he's furious at her for talking to this man so that was it Cynthia realized that she was um, in, involved with an abuser and so when she came back she she broke it off, but she had like one day to get all of her belongings out of his house. Plus, in the meantime, he had sold her car and kept the money. So, you know, eventually, uh, you know, she, she escaped from him and she realized what she was dealing with and realized also that he was already online looking for other women. And so she actually snuck back into her house uh, or his house um, to get a few things that she had left there. And uh, while she was there, she saw his computer was open and he's communicating with other women. So she, you know, gets all the names and addresses, contacts these women and becomes friends with one of them. And, um, you know, who was very glad to be told that this guy was not at all what he claimed to be. And, um, he, they, they, I mean, the best part of the story was at the end, uh, the two women became friends and they both went to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and just sat there together across from this guy, you know, to let him know that, you know, they knew what he was. They knew what his game was. They weren't buying it anymore. And the gig was up. Now, you talk about love bombing. Can you explain that to us? Yes. Love bombing means that a person will shower you with attention and affection. And this is a really typical strategy that is used uh, by sociopaths when they're seducing anybody. Um, and it, it doesn't, it's not just women over 50, it's, you know, at all ages and, and women do it too, because there are both male and female sociopaths. But anyway, they shower you with attention. They tell you how wonderful you are. They're making plans for every night of the week. Uh, they want to see you all the time. And uh, then they eventually, um, yeah, it's, it's just a method that they use in order to seduce people. One of, one of multiple methods, but, but that's a big one. Now, where are women specifically more likely to meet these people? Oh, gosh. Actually, they're everywhere. In fact, um, I should point out that this book was based on surveys that I did with um, my love fraud readers uh, because um, – Actually, after meeting my ex-husband, you know, when I first started to um, realize I had a story to tell, I launched my website, which is called lovefraud.com, uh, back in 2005, actually. And so I've had, gosh, over all these years, probably millions of people have visited. Um, so what I did was I did a survey of love fraud readers specifically about senior sociopaths, specifically about people who... Um, were over the age of 50 and were still engaging in this outrageous behavior. So um, I did ask questions about um, I wanted to, one of the chapters is about dating relationships, people who were over the age of 50 or the 
their the so-called sociopath was over the age of 50. And that was one of the questions that I asked. This is, where did you meet this person? So the prime place that uh, the subject, uh, the, the, the survey respondents met these folks was on the internet. 36% of people who encountered sociopaths in dating relationships met them on the internet. Um, besides that, they met them in social situations like a bar, restaurant, or party, about 17%. Another 12% knew them from the past. Um, then people met them in just all kinds of places like at the gym, doing volunteer work at a university. And then uh, finally, about 10% met the sociopaths by either working together or doing business with them. So it, it's all, all throughout life is, is where you can meet these folks. Now, tell us the example of the couple whose first weekend together, they went out house hunting. Well, uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, they met online, and um, <laughs> it, that's another strategy that sociopaths use when they're trying to seduce people is they it's called the grand gesture and what it means is that they do something that's just totally over the top in order to impress whoever the target is uh you know that they're head over heels in love and they and they really have this future together so that's what happened you know they they'd been uh, corresponding online back and forth for a while talking on the phone and the first time that they meet the guy takes her out house shopping and you know of course most of us who have been in normal dating relationships know that this is like way over the top but since we don't understand that there are people out there who are disordered and who are doing this because they have an agenda we just interpret it to mean that the person is so head over heels in love with us that they just you know just want to have us around as fast as possible and as much as possible. And that's what she thought. She thought that, you know, the guy was just crazy over her. And so they went house shopping. Of course, nothing ever came to it. And I've actually heard lots and lots of stories like this. So it certainly wasn't, it didn't just happen once. Uh, plenty of people have told me uh, through the survey and, and other uh, stories that I've collected that that's what they do. And, um, but it's all what's called future planning. They're talking about this wonderful future, but it never comes to pass. The whole idea is to get their hooks into you so that you start giving them what they want. Now, finances. Everybody's dealing with making sure we have enough to pay for all of our bills. Tell us about what did you find with the sociopaths and finances? Well, um, one of the things that I just said is that they're looking for people who have something that they want, and often that's money. So lots and lots of uh, women who, women and men who became involved with senior sociopaths found that they lost money. I mean, outrageous amounts of money. And um, it ranged from people who lost a few hundred dollars. I, I recently heard of someone who lost $600 and thought that was outrageous. But I've also heard of people who've lost over half a million dollars quickly. And, and, and there, there was one case where this guy who was a sociopath was uh, talking to a, a real estate agent um, who was in the islands down in the, the Caribbean and you know convincing her that she, he had all this money and he's going to buy this property but you know maybe they should go in on it together and, and all this other well she ended up losing over half a million dollars within a few months and you know it's just outrageous but essentially anybody um 
who marries a sociopath most likely will lose money. Um, and the longer the marriage, the more money you lose. Now, on page 47, you have this really interesting table. Table 5, harm suffered by dating and married victims due to romantic involvement with a senior sociopath. Mm -hmm. Tell us more about that. Okay, well, um, what I did, as I said, this was a survey, and I had more than 2,000 respondents to this survey. And people could talk about the um, what happened to them. So what I did was I divided it up between um, the harm suffered by people who were dating and the harm suffered by people who married the person um, for the idea of exploring, you know, if it was better or worse to be married. And, and if uh, the, the result was it's definitely worse to be married. Like, for example, um, one of the things that people that I asked is, did you lose your home? Well, 12% of people who dated a sociopath lost their home, and 24% of people who married a sociopath lost a home. Uh, I have a whole list of things. You have lost your job, you incurred debt. Um, that happened to 26% of people who were dating and 54% of people who were married to a sociopath. Um, then it, uh, there's lots of other things here. Um, let's see. The individuals threatened to commit suicide. Uh, that happened to 12% of people who were um, married, I'm, I'm sorry, dating, and 18% who were married. Um, people lost their businesses. They declared bankruptcy. But, and, but those are the kind of the, the low numbers. The, the most harm that was reported was to people's health and psychology, to, to their emotions and their psychological well-being. You know, for example, uh, I asked, did the stress of the involvement make you ill? And 72% of the dating people said it, and 78% of the people who married a sociopath said the stress made them ill. Um, I asked if they became anxious or depressed. That happened to 88% of the dating dating uh, people and 92% um, of the married people. So there's, I have this whole list of things that um, harm that people suffer and the, the evidence shows that those who were married just suffered even more. You gave such a good example of a person with dementia and antisocial behavior mixed in. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was kind of an interesting experience because this this actually happened long before I met the book. I wrote the book, but um, there was a newspaper article about this man who was like, I think he was in his late seventies, and he brutally attacked his wife and murdered her, you know, with a baseball bat. I mean, it was awful, and I initially interpreted that to mean that the guy was a psychopath and that he, you know, it just went to prove that, you know, once you're a psychopath, you're always a psychopath. But uh, one of my readers who was a nurse practitioner said, well, that might not be the case. And as they looked into it, what happened was the guy had dementia. And there are certain people who have a symptoms of dementia become violent uh, or they start engaging in criminal behavior. So the difference is that um, people who are disordered or have one of these personality disorders, they're like this their whole life. I mean, it, it typically starts when 
at least by the time they're teenagers, uh, sometimes as children, but, but they're, they always exhibit antisocial behavior. But if somebody has dementia, it, it comes on later in life. So there, there was no history of this all along. And all of a sudden, in, in his late 70s, you know, the, the guy becomes violent. And so that's not a personality disorder. That, that's a, a brain disorder as a result of the dementia. Now, you know, there were so many good examples of manipulation. Can you think of one that you'd like to share with us today? Oh, my goodness. Um, actually, you know, one of my favorite parts of the book, and, and which is kind of an odd thing to say when you're writing about sociopaths, but I really liked the chapter um, about sociopaths as parents. And a lot of people who realized that they grew up with sociopathic parents told their stories. And so the story that I used to open that chapter was about a family who was um, very wealthy and the uh, their, their firstborn daughter um, had a disability, a very serious disability, uh, and she was not expected to live, but she did. Um, so then the family decided that instead of risking another disabled child, that they would uh, adopt a couple of kids. And so the person who told me the story was uh, the adopted son. And you know, his, his mother was extremely wealthy, generations of wealth. And the father was a university professor, uh, very well respected, but they were abusive to their kids. And I mean, he, the father was like dragging his son into psychiatrists starting at age six. And um, then what he would do is he would manipulate the mother um, and she was the one with all the money, um, but he would manipulate her to kind of, uh, you know, yell at the son and the son became rebellious. And finally, though, when he went away to college and got away from his family, it was like, oh, my goodness, this is wonderful. And, and you know, he had an uncle who you know, talked to him and he turned his life around and everything like that. But what happened was that eventually the uh, his mother inherited lots of money from her family. So the father he um, resigned from being a university professor saying he needed to take care of his wife when he had actually pretty much driven his wife crazy uh, because he was psychopathic. And what he wanted to do was manipulate her money. And and this is what he did. And he set up these, all these networks of lawyers and accountants and, you know, in order to do what he want. In the meantime, his disabled daughter was like suffering and wouldn't do anything to, to help her. So, I mean, I, I, this story just goes into all kinds of layers of what happens when you have a disordered parent and a, a disordered people in the family. And that's something that hasn't been discussed a whole lot in a lot of other books. I mean, there's lots of books out there about um, what we've been talking about so far, you know, people who are in romantic relationships. But what goes on in the family is can be really nuanced and, and it's very deep reaching and it, and it really affects people who grow up in these situations. And, and I wanted to bring that out. So that particular story just has, is, it's just mind blowing what went on and what this man got away with, but, and nobody would question him because he was this philanthropist and he was a university professor and his wife came from old money. And so he just got away with all of it. What is the best way to escape the senior sociopath? Well, it's a three-step process. 
first, and this is how you protect yourself from a sociopath. First, you have to know that they exist. Now, this is actually the hard part because I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, I never knew people like this existed. Yeah, well, well, they do. And we really need to know that they're out there. Secondly, we need to know the warning signs. Now, I talked a little bit about the love bombing, but there's other things that they do. Uh, a big warning sign is that all sociopaths lie, and they lie fluently. They tell big lies, they tell little lies, they tell stupid lies. They would be better. They they lie when they would be better off telling the truth. Um, they also blame other people for everything that goes wrong in their life. They never take responsibility, and also they uh, engage in what we call the pity play. They try and make you feel sorry for them so that they you give them what they want, which is their objective. Um, so anyhow, we, we need to know that they're out there. We need to know the warning signs. And then the key is to trust your instincts, you know, because we all have intuition. Uh, most of us aren't taught how to um, pay attention to our intuition, but our intuition will warn us when somebody is dangerous. And I've researched this in one of my previous books. And, you know, uh, and that one was specifically about romantic relationships. And I asked the question, uh, did you have an intuitive warning or an intuition that something wasn't right about this person or this relationship? Well, 72% of people said yes. You know, so we do get warnings and we just need to pay attention to them. And extricating yourself, well, that kind of depends on the nature of the relationship. Um, you know, it's, it's a little easier if you've only been dating for a few weeks to just, you know, go away and have no contact with the person ever again. Um, if you finally figured it out after 20 or 30 years of marriage, which plenty of people uh, who are in my book, I mean, that's the situation they were in, then there's a lot of decisions that need to be made and, and it could be complex deciding how to get out of it. What's the best advice on rebuilding your life? The most important thing to understand is that these people are fundamentally disordered. Uh, and this is actually the, the main reason that I wrote this book um, was because, uh, as I said in the beginning, you know, I married this man who turned out to be a complete sociopath. And uh, he was actually clinically diagnosed after the fact, which, which you can do. Um, there is a prevailing view in the mental health field that sociopaths burn out in their 40s and engage in less antisocial behavior. Well, this made no sense to me because my ex-husband was like older than that when I met him, you know, although he lied about his age because he, he lied about many things, um, but he was already 55 when I met him. And so what I wanted to do was dispel the idea that it gets better. So, so this is what's important for your recovery. What you need to understand is that the sociopath is fundamentally disordered. This person is never going to change, and that's what my evidence showed. And it was never your fault. And there was never anything that you could have done to make him, him or her treat you better or to be good to you. Um, and, and as much as they blame you, because that's what they do, they twist everything around that it's your fault, it never was your fault. So we need to understand that, you know, it's not you, it's them. What is the overall message you want your reader to get after they read your book? I want them to understand that 
once somebody has one of these personality disorders, it is not going to get better. In fact, the key research question, uh, this is what I asked about. Um, I had, as I said, over 2,000 people answer my survey and about 40% or um, 800 knew the sociopath both before and after the age of 50. And so I asked, how did their behavior change if it did change before and after the age of 50? Well, 91% said their lies, deception, manipulation, and antisocial behavior was just as bad or worse after age 50. So the key message is it will not get better. If you realize that you're involved with someone who has any level of involvement, if it's a a romantic relationship, if they're a family member, if it's a, a business colleague, you can't wait it out. You can't assume that you know they'll get older and more mature they'll calm down or something like that it's not going to happen so you have to accept this and decide how you're going to move forward in your own life well i've taken up enough of your time what's the next project you're going to be working on well um probably some more webinars um we have some webinars on lovefraud.com which uh, helps people to recognize and recover and there's a few that um, i have in mind um, to help people in the recovery process so webinars are are much shorter than books (laughs) so i think that that will probably be my next project it's been great talking to you again we've talked with donna anderson the author of Senior Sociopaths, How to Recognize and Escape Lifelong Abusers. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deirdre. I really appreciate it. 